right, welcome to Fintech Insider Interviews. We're coming from New York City. I'm Sam Mall. It's my pleasure to be joined by the legendary Bo Hartman, the CTO and partner at Marcus by Goldman Sachs. Hello, Bo. What's up, Sam? How you doing, man? I am doing quite actually beautiful weather in New York this week. Made me happy. It's a good day to be at Goldman, to be blunt, and at Marcus. Bo, I want to start here because for those that don't know you, I think this is the greatest way to sum you up. This is your Twitter bio. We're going to go right oh, to that. Okay, yeah, yeah. So that means you wrote this. Yeah, I did write this, yes. Tech nerd, curious problem solver, and oh yeah, I have dyslexia. So for all of you kids in school that don't think you can make it at Goldman, there you go. So when, when did you get diagnosed with dyslexia? Uh, I, I got diagnosed about seven or eight, and the way it was discovered is my mother was a part-time teacher in the rural town that we were in, and she was reading a newspaper, and I was having problems reading. But when I sat on the other side of the newspaper, I read upside down and backwards very flawlessly. And that's the moment she stopped and went, we need to go get you tested. And within the first day of testing, the psychologist went, he's dyslexic. Um, so if you're a vendor and you're sitting across Bo at a table, <laughs> <laughs> make sure you can't see your screen or your notes because he's reading them. All right, let's, let's, I know you've done that. Oh my God, I know you've done it. And that's what makes me laugh. Let's jump right into Marcus first. Let's mm-hmm. talk about your role a little bit for those that don't know yeah. you. One, I mean, the title is CTO and partner at Marcus. Talk to us a little bit about what that actually entails. Yeah, what that entails. Breaking news for you today is that it was announced about uh, a week or two ago that I'm, I'll am i be leaving Marcus after uh, a couple of launches and taking over digital strategy integration for Goldman Sachs. So that'll be a new chapter. But the Marcus part on the CTO piece, right? My, my jaw just kind of fell a little <laughs> so, bit because that's actually really cool news. Yeah, so. it, it's going to be a massive challenge, and I was really up for the challenge. So it, it's going to be kind of cool. But the, what the title, what it means is that it goes back four years ago when I joined uh, July 1 of 2015. I touched down and it was just me and Hari Tar, employed to, to, and what we call the pre-beta, which was Omar Ishmael, which I think you talked to yeah. in 2020, was here. The whole concept of the CTO role was not only to bring engineering to bear, but to bring business thinking to engineering so that we could create this digital experience uh, that had not been seen from the ground up. And, and ever since then, it's been a partnership we went from those you know, handful of people in those early days to well over thousands of people now, uh, four years later. Four businesses launched. I mean, it's just an incredible journey. In this industry, Marcus is constantly put up as a use case, mm-hmm. right? Of here's a bank that's 165 years old. 150, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that it has done it, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's no longer theory. They've proven All right, right. that you can do this. I think the last time you were in my office, you and David, I, I showed you the line of code, right? The yeah. first line of code that we wrote. And, you know, we memorialized it because when we wrote it at that moment, I knew that there was something special because of the energy and passion that people put into, you know, even the early days, even the early prototypes of we got to get this right for the customers. And the fact that the firm was so supportive of us in that journey, you would have never thought that of a institution with that much history behind it. Yeah, I mean, that's the running joke, I guess you would say that when you look at fintech and you look at, at banking, right, I don't care what country you're in. That you've just got folks who are more or less clocking in and sitting at the cubicles and doing all that. And that's what I like about what you all were able to do. You proved that's not true. With success, right? Success is you actually have customers. We have, we have customers. We're servicing customers. Um, you know, the, the big launch that we're, you know, sitting around today watching go off. And what actually excites me is that not only do we have people we brought in from the outside to bring in fresh perspective and difference. We have a massive community of folks that were already in the firm joining us yeah. to help us make something different, both culturally and a product-wise and technology-wise. And, and so it's been incredible. It's actually been a feeder into 
other banks in New York too. I mean, yeah, we're name dropping names. <laughs> yeah, but that's that's normal, yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, that, yeah. you you have those natural cycles to where you're going to be working a diff- couple of different banks, but it's it's almost a launching pad, right? Oh, that I think that's outstanding. But well, one of the things that I've always said, and if you go back and talk to the folks that have been on my team, uh, I always said that I wanted to create an organization that was recognized as giving people opportunities to grow and stretch and to learn. And I always also wanted to be a place where managers fought to recruit out. And everyone always asked me, they said, why would you want folks to be recruited out of your organization? I said, because you get a headline then. If you go here on this journey, you're going to learn new skills, then you're going to be valuable. Other managers will recognize that and say, they then start sending you people saying, hey, this person needs a new stage or a new opportunity. So it, it does become a virtual cycle if you're open to it. I've done a little bit of research on Bo. I actually read this recommendation on LinkedIn, right? Yeah, there's some good recommendations on LinkedIn, but it touches on what you just said. This was written about Bo, probably by Bo under a pseudonym, but <laughs> somebody that used to work with Bo. There's a calculated difference between a leader and a leader of leaders. Bo was definitely the latter. Oh, yeah. That, that That's was a good one. Yeah, I was actually, he was the head of uh, HR for me at Barclay Card. You know, again, it was just an absolute incredible time. You know, different organization, very large he actually helped us make it exciting and interesting. Yeah. So outside of one job where you were you were working with the Army as a civilian, but as mm-hmm. a contract yeah. working with them, you've only done banking, right? I mean, Capital One, Barclays, and Goldman. Is and, that right? And, and Goldman, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not that typical. I mean, honestly. Yeah, no, I, I, it's funny. If you would have told the young version of me sitting in college, right, studying international affairs, hey, you're going to be in, in banking, I, I would have laughed hysterically. What's I, kept you in it? Two things, actually, which are the two things that surprised me the most. The first one is I've actually been a part of some of the most innovative and interesting places in the world. Cap One, I was there for 13 years during what I call the golden era, right? We were inventing things that just didn't exist in the credit card market. Two, went to, you know, Barclay Card, a multinational venerable bank. And then, of course, coming to Goldman in and of itself is, is its own statement. So I've had the chance that every time I think my last job was my most interesting job, there's, there's another chance to, to do cool things. The second thing is I actually found that banking is not boring. Banking is about the most intimate interactions you can have with a human outside of a relationship because it permeates everything that they do, right? Folks have a sense of fear and foreboding about the financial situation or they their financial situation can enable them to send their kids to college or to take care of their alien parents. When you look at that relationship, you can see human life cycle, right? And without it, it doesn't exist. And I think all too often, we in banking either, you know, become sort of jaded and believe, hey, it's just a process in and out. And I think people see banks as not always being there to helpful. And that's what I liked about what we came here to do with Goldman and Marcus by Goldman Sachs is that we literally focus on that moment to say, how do we get people re-engaged back in the banking and feel like, hey, this is going to be valuable to me. It's going to help me. And that's actually one of the things that's kept me in the industry. You said this is probably a third quality of you. And when you look back at your career as an outsider looking at you um, and going through some of the stuff you wrote, you wrote on an internal blog one time that curiosity is a superpower. Yeah. That's a great line. <laughs> oh, dude, yeah. So that's, I'm assuming that's incredibly true of you, and that's what you look for in the people you hire out for the team? Oh, yeah. So the one things I always do when I look for hiring team, and a lot of folks have been asking me through my career, how have you been able to constitute these group of people that you would never pick to put together and always have these incredible results on the other side of it. And to your and to the point we were talking about earlier, you can see where some of my directs and my old teams have gone and do now, and you can see that lineage. And I always look for two things. The first thing I look for is the person covering my blind spot, right? So I, That's I, a good one. Right? Yeah. So, like, I don't want clones of me. I want people who are going to 
cover a blind spot and push me and make me think better. And, and you can look at my, my teams and <laughs> we did not do yes men very often. And then the second one is the curiosity piece is I read a book uh, right before I went to Barclays from Cap One and it talked about most organizations get stagnant because they lose curiosity. And if you can help people gain curiosity again, then magical things can take place on the other side of it. And so always being naturally curious, I snagged onto that. Do you remember what the book was? I believe it was Lynchpen or Tribes by Seth Godin. Okay. I, I, that sounds was, like a Seth Godin yeah, type of quote. Yeah, it? yeah, 100%. It, it was either Lynchpen or Tribes. I can't remember uh, which one it was because I read both of them at the same time. So let's talk a little bit about Marcus. Again, this is a used case on almost every stage at every conference. The story surrounded that banks can't innovate. So what's the, the short version of what Marcus is? And is it what you thought it was going to be when you started? Oh, that's that's a question. So let's do it. Just the, made that one up. Yeah, so I, I thought that was pretty say, good. Good job, actually. It's the coffee. Uh, well, you know that's why we give it to you. Um, so what is Marcus, right? So on the brass tacks, what Marcus is? It started off as an unsecured installment loans, right? And that's where the platform began. Then we bought GE Capital for deposits. Then we launched UK deposits, and then of course we're launching a credit card product, and we're launching some other partnerships that become down the line. So those are the products we put in the market. But as I've I've said before publicly. When we were actually doing the market research about what we wanted to launch and what we thought the pain points of customers were, we actually interviewed 10,000 people. And along that journey of interviewing 10,000 people of what they needed, we didn't find a business case. We found a purpose. And that's actually what surprised me the most. And the purpose was this. People had a feeling of dread and shame about their financial situation. So whether it was a focus group, whether it was individual uh, conversations, or even conversations among us on the floor when we were sitting there late at night – People don't talk about their financial situations because there's a bit of shame about like if they're in debt or if they have credit card debt or something like that. And what we found is wouldn't it be incredible if we gave people the opportunity to actually realize it's not their fault, right, and that sometimes life just happens to them. And But we're here to help educate them and get them back on the path. So that's where the debt happens. It's how you get out of it. it counts. That's where that, that whole media blitz came from is because – it hit us in those uh, interviews, and then there was an article from the Atlantic around the same time that talked about the shame of the middle class, and it talked about a guy who made six digits, and he was living paycheck to paycheck. And that we had that taped to our walls. We all read it, and, and we said, we got to do something about that. So that's what it became for us. We, we hammer that concept on every podcast we do. We talk about jobs to be done, right? Yeah. Actually looking at what is the end customer trying to do, not what is this product you're trying to sell. hundred Solving for that, right? Solving for that. And, and you have to get in there and really have that conversation. Tell people they can trust you with that vulnerability. I'm a, a Marcus customer, yeah. right? Thank you. Um, <laughs> yeah. Incredibly simple, right? It, it does what it's supposed to do. Yeah. Right? Very yeah. straightforward. What makes it different about every other product that's out there? What do you think is the secret sauce? I think it's the simplicity. Give it away. Give it away. I, well, I was going to say, I, there's nothing to give. It, it was the simplicity, right? I mean, I agree. We when for, we'll take the the installment loans onboarding process. We talked about how not to make the customer get off the couch when applying for an installment loan. So at the very beginning of that funnel, that journey, we ask for literally four pieces of data. That's all we ask. We go in, we do a soft pull, right, and we can say, you know, all we say is we don't say how much do you want to borrow. We say how much can you afford to pay back each month, right? So we're changing the dialogue in that moment. It's a behavioral. Nudge. Yeah. And nudge, right? And yeah. we're, we're changing it. And then we come up with three offers that we make. Actually, on behind it, there are 25 offers that are or 21 offers that sit behind it. So if someone goes, you know, actually, I could afford a little bit more or actually, I need a little bit more, the next set comes right up. 
And what we were trying to do is to say, just shop, take your time. It's, it's cool. Then when you select, then we take you on the rest of the journey and we ask for just a handful of other information. And then that's when we, we do the, the official book. In the UK for the deposits, it's something like 60 seconds. You can book a deposit account in the UK, right? We, we just said, how do we just make it simple? The last thing is, if you read our you know um, FAQs or if you read the uh, information about what a feeless loan looks like, it's written at a level that everyone can understand. There's not jargon. There's not legal jargon. It's just very clearly, this is how simple interest is calculated. This is what no fees mean. I mean, like, literally, that's what we wanted to do. And it's funny because you'll hear this a lot about, for example, the Challenger Banks, right? This is a podcast for 11FS. If I don't say Monzo, I'm congrats. You know, I take a hit. <laughs> yeah. I make that joke constantly. But it is still funny. But, I mean, I think that is one thing that a Starling, a Monzo, and others have done really well. It's the simplicity of language mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. and engagement, right? I yeah. mean, that is – you always do laugh when you got your credit card and all the disclaimers just fall and to fall the floor, floor. Yeah, yeah. instead of falling in the trash yeah. or they're going to end up anyways. When was the last time someone – well, you might have read them. But when was the last time actually – I have never read them. I would – oh, God. It's never going to happen. What surprised you most about the success of this? Oh, what was the, it success in the UK? Because it went really well. Oh, did, that, that actually, did that really shock you? So, so the UK actually blew my mind. So we, you know, of course, we built installment loans fast. We integrated U.S. deposits real fast. The team under Colin White and Des McDade over in the UK building that. And um, it was interesting. I was over there a few weeks before launch, just helping the team get ready and prepare for it. And we had like fairway. We think we're going to get this many accounts. And we blew by that in like the first six days. Yeah, you did all right. The numbers <laughs> it, were staggering. It was sta- like literally staggering. I think we're the fastest growing deposit only digital bank in UK history or something like that. It was just blown away. And that stunned me. What I think is the most stunning thing about the successes is the way that people have actually, you know, embraced us and gravitated. The other thing that was massively surprising, not not surprising, but it was really nice to see, is the way that the firm has embraced, you know, Marcus culture, you know, the fact that I'm getting, having an opportunity to go on, have bigger impact in the firm, those sorts of things really tells you that as much as Marcus you know, is a part, uh, but sometimes we're under a different brand. We are part of Goldman Sachs, and Goldman Sachs really, truly, you know, embraces what we've done and where we're going. Yeah, that name was never hidden, right? It's Marcus by Goldman, by Goldman Sachs. Sachs. And there's exactly. actually there's actually case studies on that branding, which is amazing when you think about that. But that tells you how weird our industry is. The guy who actually came up with that name is a guy, Destin Cohen. He's a good friend of mine. He's our marketing public relations guy who just actually took over – that same role for all of CMID, which Marcus is a part of, he actually came up with that name in the shower one morning. He was it's uh, one of those light bulb. It was one moments. of those light bulbs. So he's an incredible guy. He was sitting there. He was thinking through all the names that were coming up through the research, and he was like, "Yeah, but you want someone to be on your side. You 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 know you want to have personal relationship." And he was thinking, "Well, who founded the company? Marcus Goldman founded the company." And then what happened is, went, wait a second, Marcus, Marcus is your friend. Marcus by Goldman Sachs, and that's where it came from. It's it's really interesting because it's not standalone, right? And yet it can, but it's tied with the brand. So you have that 150 years behind it, and yet it's a completely new – we talked about this a little bit. You said how you sat down on a whiteboard over three days, and, and you – what was the other guy's name? Greg Berry. You and Greg Berry stood in front of a whiteboard and cussed at each other and hugged and cried for three days. And yet when you look at that tech architecture that you put on a whiteboard – 90% of it is in play. Yeah, yeah, 100% and 90%, yeah. And if you look at our original architectural blueprints, Stephen Shearer, who's now the CFO, who was our patron executive when we first got here, Stephen used to joke, I used to come with all my architectural diagrams, he goes, they all look the same. I said, that's the point. 
It's just a pattern. And those patterns, whether it's installment loans or to the credit card platform, it's the same pattern. We have eight architectural principles from day one. Those eight architectural principles are still what we adhere to. And when we- it keeps go- us so much cleaner, it doesn't cleaner, it? It's right. purity of purpose, right? Well, we're, we're talking about a bank, everybody. Don't get that excited. <laughs> yeah, but at the end of the day, though, it is. It's purity of thought. It's the simplicity of that. 100%. And the other thing that's really cool is it's not dogmatic. So for example, if we need to do something to meet a customer need, we will make the active decision, not the passive decision, that it's okay to take another choice, but let's be active about that choice. And then we know we need to come back and remediate it at some point in the future. So the way it was built also gets a lot of hype, mm, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, not being tied to a legacy, to really go on a blank oh, board yeah. and say, all right, if I was to do this, that's one thing. Now, this I do run into a, throughout my career in a lot yeah. of banks. It's one thing to get on the board and draw it all out and go, that's how you do it. It's another thing to be able to pull that off. Right. Today, customers are demanding greater value from financial services. They expect more agility, innovation, and security than ever before. Most financial institutions are held back by the shackles of closed legacy systems that limit transparency, block innovation, and ignore customers' demands. Finastra has a bold vision to unlock the potential of people and business. They've created a platform for open innovation in the world of financial services with Fusion Fabric Cloud. Their solutions span retail, transaction lending, and treasury and capital markets on-premise and in the cloud. Start your transformation journey today with Finastra. Cybos, the world's premier financial services event, is landing in London's XL on the 23rd to the 26th of September. More than 8,000 decision makers and experts from across the globe will gather to shape the future of finance and the opportunities for fintechs will be bigger than ever. Specially priced fintech tickets are available. Don't miss out. Book today at cybos.com. How in the world did you do that? So um, it was always it was always fascinating. A lot of political cloud, a lot of mm. just... No, actually, what was really interesting, coming into this, when I was at Cap One and I was going to Barclays, everyone said, well, it's easy at Cap One because, you know, Cap One's a high-flying company and, of course, it's easy to be successful there. I went to Barclays when I was leaving Barclays to come here. Everyone said, well, you know, you're at Barclays, large organization. It was easy to be successful there, right? So I, come, I come here to say, okay, I have nothing. We have to build something, right? And quite frankly, the thing that I walked in with, I already had written down, by the way, the architectural plan the types of software we wanted to use, the types of skill sets we needed. I came in also with how to not only change a bank, like build a bank, but how to run a bank. So, Because my time at Barclays really taught me run is just as important as change. And so coming into it, it wasn't, I'm going to build something from scratch and try to be impressive to the technology world. I said, how do I build the most efficient bank and it's easy to run? Because I know, as you know, at the end of the day, especially in retail, it's about being efficient. And so that was the mindset I walked in. The other thing I always talk about is I didn't have the three debts. I didn't have technical debt. I didn't have organizational debt. And I didn't have product debt. And so I could build the team. I could lay out the architecture we want, which, by the way, I stole from brighter people than I growing up, right? So standing on shoulders of giants. Benchmarking, right? Steal with pride, as we say. Nothing wrong with it. And I tell folks, this is homage to those who spent time teaching me. Exactly. That's all. Everything's a remix, right? One of my favorite series (laughs) ever. 
Yeah. And I love that you know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe we'll put a link in for that. There but you yes, go. Yeah. but it's true. There's a reason it works. There's a reason it works. And we were able to move very quickly. I always tell folks that we dropped the first line of code on November the 17th of 2015. We booked our first customer on October 17th of 2016. And, I mean, and that infrastructure is running. Now we've upgraded and we've matured it, but that's running now. And it those platforms support over 4 million customers right now. So one of the hardest things to do when you've seen success like this, mm -hmm. this is very true in sports, it's true in everything, is keeping that team motivated right yeah and keeping the team because you're running so fast exactly and that's oh, yeah. actually a lot different than a normal banking career and i don't mean that mean i came out of it right yeah, but yeah. it's a very mm -hmm. i think methodical is a good choice of words right and by nature that's that's tough how do you do that as a leader so we're coming on four years now like if you if you count up we're four years and which really in reality is like a lot of years because yeah, well, <laughs> well, of the well, speed it's right. because of the speed well that yeah. I, was, I was actually i was thinking about this over the weekend because i knew you know we were going to be launching some stuff and I went four years and four businesses launched. Wow. I mean, like that, that's absolutely crazy. Well, and that's actually right now, you know, career planning. Uh, this is your very typical, you know, leadership moment where, again, like I said, you're finding the people that you're giving big stages and letting them grow. Now there are actually some folks that you're saying, hey, let's go find you a, a bigger stage now, right? And there's some folks raising their hand saying, I would like a bigger stage. And yeah. so, so right now we're going through that cycle of how do we figure out how we put people in the most place. The good news about Marcus, though, is that, we have such ambitious goals. The firm, like David Solomon, has laid out those ambitious goals. There's no short list of uh, opportunities. There's a lot of opportunities, right? So it's interesting. So you take that to your new role that's coming up, yep. which is going to be one heck of a challenge because just about five minutes ago, you said you had no technical debt, yeah, right. no operation. Remember that little quote? <laughs> yeah, yeah, this okay. is a whole different view. Of it. You yeah, got to yeah. put a big X through that. Yeah, That's yeah. a good challenge. The big challenge that I really like about it and what fascinates me is I get to go learn what the rest of the firm does. So being a consumer guy for the last 20-some-odd yeah. years, I actually now am becoming a student again, right? And if you know if that same blog, if you would have read it, I talked about peaks and valleys. You know, don't yeah. spend— You had four good points. I read the whole thing. And You'd be very I, proud of me. I, 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 I was going to say it, yeah. I, you know. So don't spend a lot of time in the peaks and valleys because, you know, they're temporary. It's the plateaus. So I'm now having to go back and actually admit I'm a beginner, and I need to go learn what institutional business is all about inside the firm. And so, you know, I have to walk in very humble and respectful and start that journey of learning. That I actually am very excited about. And then bringing the Marcus experience in about how we can leverage technology in a new way. That's going to be fascinating, right? To see, one, how Marcus continues to grow. There's yes. so many places. That, oh, I mean, the reality is... You know, just go read the news, right? There's, there's a lot of places and a lot of areas yep. that that can grow. And when it's built the way you built it, you know, the simplicity of that. Yep. And I like how you had that quote of, it's interesting that tech stack doesn't change. Good. <laughs> right? Good. That like, sure does make that nice to branch out into these others. Right? Absolutely. And just a pattern. That's yeah. the right way to build that. One of the things we like to do at the end of this is kind of wrap up with leaders. We ask these same type of questions. Mm -hmm. I'm going to modify them a little bit just because it's interesting for you. Mm -hmm. uh, the first one is... I love this. I love I love folks that are, are like that. I'm actually showing him a picture of my phone right now. So <laughs> one of my heroes. Laughter. So one his of, hero is one of mine. It's Anthony Bourdain. One of my right? heroes. Why? Oh my God. So just as an aside, before I answer that question, when he passed, watching one of your heroes go and learning the struggles they were going through, it just kind of makes you reflect in your moment. So I've started, went back to episode one, season one, and I'm now re-watching everything. Um, I'm laughing, folks, because I did the same thing. Oh, my God. And it just, it just, he was such an incredible storyteller. The reason uh, he's one of my heroes is a couple things. One is he's not your normal 
success story, right? He started out in the back kitchen. He wrote an article, which then someone said you should make it into a book. He's very public about his his addictions, right? He doesn't apologize for him. He just says that was the moment. And then when he goes meets with people and he's talking about their culture and their food, it's not some veneer of, hey, I'm talking about the food that you eat. He really gets into the culture and what's affecting these people, which, and he connects with a big way. I saw uh, the one he did in Miami literally just the other night. Him and Iggy Pop are sitting there talking. And it's just the the dialogue between the two of two guys who saw the 60s and the 70s, and they're both wearing their glasses to read their menus and stuff like that. And it was, it was one of those moments that you go, this is what made him special, right? Because yeah. he, he was unapologetic of who he was. And yet incredibly successful. For listeners that don't know, incredible chef, first Michelin star French restaurant in New York. Yes. By someone who wasn't French. Just an incredible guy who... Almost like having a banker who had dyslexia who grew up in a small horse farm in like nowhere, Virginia, <laughs> right? I mean, just yeah, yeah. doesn't fit the mold. Doesn't so I can see mold. why Burdain would be a yeah. one. This is a true story. This is a shout out to Phil Allen, a good friend of mine who works at Lloyd's and their digital team. The thing I always used to like to do as a consultant for my clients is when we ended a project, I'd give them a book and always mm-hmm. sign the inside cover yeah, with yeah. something. Phil liked to cook, so he had never heard of Anthony Burdain. So I gave uh, him Anthony Burdain's cookbook and the, signed it. Yeah. The day he died on Twitter, he sent me a picture of that book. Ah, uh, dude. And we both teared up, you I, know? Going back and watching those sessions, and my wife constantly says that he left the world too soon and he had more to teach. And to us, we're like, that's but that's moti- that should be a motivation as a leader. Oh, yeah. Right? Is, is that, that really is what our job is, right? Oh. Like you said, it's not hiring yes men, yes women, mm-hmm. and a team like that to just nod and say what you need. Yep. And I think that's what will help continue to, I don't want to say kickstart, I think the industry is making changes. You know, you guys have been in the thick of it for the last couple of years, which which I absolutely love in my time with Simon and and others back at the Barclays days. You guys have been in the center, but what I actually love is it's never been the fintechs versus the big banks. It's a symbiotic relationship. And what I think the fintechs did, the fintechs woke up the banks to say, hey, you can do different, Right. And I think the symbiotic relationship is actually what's going to propel us forward. And I think you guys nail it with what is it like transformation is only like 1% done or something like yeah, that? Yeah, digital is only 1% done, not in a negative way. No, not in a it negative way. we have so much to do. We have so much opportunity. Yeah, the runway is unbelievable. Uh, unbelievable. And I, and I think that's if you take the Bourdain view of like here's a guy who was, you know, a chef and he wrote an article and it hit a chord and he drove it through. I think that's what big banks have an opportunity to do with the fintechs, right, is, is – Find that cord and drive it through. All right. So this will probably be a tough question. Mm-hmm. I have two left. Yep. What's the best career advice you've ever been given? <laughs> or just the best advice, period? Wow. Well, well period. Well, there, there's a lot there. I'll give you the career advice because that's the easiest one off the top of my head. Yeah. So when I was thinking about what was next at Capital One, Lynn Pike, who was the president of Capital One Retail Bank at that time, she came from B of A, California, star worth in the industry, incredible leader. Yeah. Lynn actually said something to me one day when I did this piece of work uh, directly for her. At the end, she said, you know, Bo, um, you need to go scare yourself again. And That's I said, a good quote. And I said, what do you mean? She goes, you could stay here and you could have a great career for the next 20 years and it would be a good career. She goes, but I see inside of you that you have more to give. You just need to go scare yourself again. And just that paragraph from her then set me going, well, what does that mean? Where should I go? And I did a mind map where the Seth Godin books came up and Failing Forward and a couple of major books, which made me start thinking about what does that look like? Which then led me to end up at Barclays, 
which you know led an incredible work I did with Derek White there and Chad Mitsubari and the others, which then led me here to do what I consider my best work, but it's not my last work. And so for me, that's kind of the journey she helped kick off in that very simple paragraph. So I'm curious, looking back, so again, you grew up in Virginia. You went to West Virginia. Oh, WVU, yeah. Why, why, by the way? Oh, um, I'm just curious. So I always tell people my family's uh, first generation refugees from West Virginia. So even though uh. I, even though I grew up even though I grew up in, in Virginia, I was the first one of my family born outside of West Virginia in Virginia and spent all my time as a child back up visiting family. My two uncles came back from Korea and they went to WVU to finish their studies. Both made all Americans there. And my my mother just said, just go visit the school, right? Just go visit the school. And uh, I went up and visited school one weekend, ran into some friends of mine that were already going there. And I just, I fell in love with the campus. I fell in love with the people. I was already connected to the state. I went there and it was the most incredible four years of my life. One of my heroes also graduated there, John Chambers. And so whenever I have a chance, uh, John and I um, get to connect once a year with a company that we're both involved with. He walked up to me and said, you're the fellow West Virginia Mountaineer, and we talk about the state and all that sort of stuff. And it. so that's how I ended there. And uh, to this day, I wear a West Virginia hat. Ever since I've graduated, I've always had a West Virginia hat. No matter where I'm at on the planet, someone will always walk up to me and say, I'm a Mountaineer. And then the song Country Roads, it'll still make me tear up. Yeah, Europe has no clue what we're talking about. Right oh, now. no, actually, the <laughs> biggest, I was in uh, I was in Kitzingen, Germany in 1994, 95 at a uh, festival in this giant beer tent. 10.30 at night, packed with people, and all of a sudden, Country Roads is being played by the Oompa Band, and oh, every single funny, person in the tent was singing at the top of their, their lungs. And it was one of those moments where you just go, wow, you know, yeah. that, that, is, that, trend, that transcends everything. So when you look at the young talent that's coming out right now, mm-hmm. all, all we continually hear about is the the brain drain going out to the big tech, yeah, right? Mm-hmm. And you live in Austin, so yep. um, you see it, right? Austin uh, uh, is uh, yep. an incredible town when it comes to tech talent and going there. But for several years, that's all we heard from stage is the danger of losing this talent to mm-hmm. the technology yeah, companies yeah. and not into banking. What would you tell uh, these folks coming right out of school about actually looking at like a Goldman? For example, you know, uh, actually, last year I actually did a small article on entrepreneur.com around just this topic, right? And it's it's what we were talking about one time. I tell folks if you really want to have an impact on people's daily lives that actually matter, banking is the place to do it, right? And banking needs the talent, the needs the innovation, and needs the energy and passion to come and be a part of that. Some for some reason along the way banking got this this reputation as boring, sleepy, you know, organizations. And I go, "No, if you really want to know how to help customers really change their or improve their lives, banking is the easiest way to do it." And that's what I tell folks is that if you want to have impact, this is the place to come do it. And in Goldman Goldman, I have to be honest with you, Goldman's an incredible place to be. The talent is off the charts. And some of the leaders I've been able to interact with, I've learned so much, and it makes me step back and go, wow, I thought I was okay before, but, man, I got a lot to learn. Well, it's one of those, you know, for me, I've, I've got, you know, several news feeds I, I have, and I've got keywords that are tagged, and Marcus would actually obviously be one of them. I would highly recommend you follow Bo. Good places on Twitter because it's pretty darn funny. It's Bo Hartman, <laughs> never call him Carl. Never call anybody him call Carl. you Carl? Your wife, mother, anybody? No, actually, it's really funny. Well, 
Um, when I know someone calls me Carl, I know they don't know me. Yeah. And that's the first, the first thing. And then the only time my, my mother ever called me Carl Joseph Hartman II is when I was in trouble. And so it, it's always both. That's a good reason not yeah. to. Well, Bo Hartman on Twitter. It's a great account, one worth following. Everyone, thank you for joining us today. You want to find out more about us, follow us on FinTech Insider. Take a look at the site. Real easy to follow. Follow me on Twitter. I'm Sam Mall. That's pretty easy. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, subscribe to the podcast. Review us on iTunes. We love reading those reviews. Pass the podcast along to friends. I think that's one of the best things you can do. Pass It's like a good book, okay? Pass the podcast along. If you know someone who loves FinTech and who isn't listening to FinTech Insider, tell them to hurry up and start listening to the show and subscribe. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you next time.